Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of immersive travel stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures, regardless of your travel plans. Each episode starts with a travel story to whisk you away. Then I'll tell you some of my top tips to visit Scotland for yourself. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Welcome back to another episode of Wild for Scotland. This season is all about road trips, and so far we've driven down roads all over Scotland. From the Highlands to the southwest, the West Coast Peninsulas to the Isle of Lewis. Some Outlander here, a dram of whiskey there. This week, we're heading to one of my favourite parts of the country, the east coast of Scotland. You could be excused for being surprised. After all, I talk about the west coast a lot on this show. But the east coast has always fascinated me, from the Berwickshire coast in the south to the beaches and the lighthouses of the Aberdeenshire coast. There is something very special about the east, so different from the rugged west coast yet dramatic in its own way. The area we're exploring today is called the East Nook of Fife, a part of the coast north of Edinburgh and just south of St Andrews. For the first time this season, you won't hear me driving my car though. My story from the East Nook of Fife is a hiking story. Although you could easily follow my footsteps by car as well. It's really up to you. So for once... Let's unbuckle those imaginary seatbelts and put on our hiking boots. This is Step by Step.
I'm standing still, considering my options. Where will my next step take me? No matter where I look, left, right or straight ahead, I see a different view, promising a different kind of adventure. Behind me is a grassy path that leads back to the busy car park. It is still early in the day, but most spaces are already filled. People emerge from their cars and empty their boots, carrying camping chairs, cooler boxes and towels. They're heading to what's on my right, the sandy beach at Ruby Bay. Golden sands framed by dark rocks and green meadows. The tide is out and I can see figures walking across the wet, compressed sand to reach the water's edge. Small streams crisscross the beach, shallow canyons revealed by the low level of water. Beyond the bay lies a row of houses, like pebbles threaded on a piece of string across the horizon. A step in that direction and I could settle into a day on the beach, building sandcastles, exploring rock pools, lazing around in the sun. Hmm. Let's check out my other options. I turn and look straight ahead, down a grassy headland. It rises gently above the sea, small uneven hills covered in lush green grass. If you look closer, flowers are dotting the green expanse, yellow dandelion and purple clover. Tall grasses rise high above their heads, stretching up towards the sun and the sky. At the tip of the headland, there is a small white lighthouse, which was built here in the early 20th century to guide ships towards the Firth of Forth. Next to it stands a little keeper's cottage. Both buildings are whitewashed with blue wooden doors and black crenellated battlements. I can see people walking towards the lighthouse, following the paths up and down the stairs to the small tower. The lighthouse is still in use today, but it's closed to the public. Instead, the walkers are exploring the headland, exposed rocks leading towards the sea. I'm intrigued, but I can't help my curiosity. I turn to the left. In the distance, I see the blue ocean, its surface sparkling in the sunshine, like a sea of glitter. On the horizon, I can faintly make out dark spots that I know to be islands. The Isle of May and Bass Rock, both home to thousands of seabirds. Much closer to me, though, on the edge of the headland, I spot something else I find intriguing. The ruins of a round tower, maybe four or five metres tall. From where I'm standing, it looks like there's just one opening in the stone wall. A tall arched door. I wonder what lies on the other side. I take a step towards the tower to inspect it more closely. And with that step, I have chosen my adventure. In case you hadn't guessed it already, I'm in Ely, on the east nook of Fife, Scotland's east coast. With those first steps from Ruby Bay towards the tower, I have begun my journey on the Fife Coastal Path, a popular long-distance trail around the coastline of Fife. The Ladies' Tower in Ely is one of the many sites along the way. It was built in the late 18th century for Lady Janet Anstruther, the daughter of a wealthy merchant. She liked to swim in the sea and asked for a natural bathtub 
to be carved into the rocks of the headland. That way, she could still take a plunge in the cold sea water, even as the tide receded farther and farther from the shore. Above her swimming spot, a tower was built, where she could lounge and watch the world go by, as she listened to the waves return to the rocks. As I get closer to the tower, I can see through the open arch of the door, uncovering what's on the other side of the building, the one that faces the sea. There are several large arched windows, revealing views of the shoreline. Here, Lady Janet would have sat all those years ago, letting her body recuperate from the cold sea water. I walk along the wall, from window to window, taking in the views in each direction. The windows like picture frames, framing the views of the ocean and the coastline like tall landscape paintings. In one, you can spot Bass Rock on the horizon. Another perfectly frames the Ely Ness Lighthouse. Even though Lady Janet sat here more than 100 years before it was built, all she would have seen was the green headlands, the beautiful coastal nature this part of Fife is so well known for. I snap a few more pictures and eventually start making my way back to the main path, which leads northeast now, away from Ely and Ruby Bay. I've chosen to walk a section of the Fife coastal path, just six miles long, but bursting at the seams with things to do and places to visit. If you wanted, you could also drive from village to village, park up and explore. But walking allows you to experience the coast on a deeper level. The path from Ely to Anstruther connects a series of picturesque seaside villages and historic ruins. In between there are flower meadows, beaches and rock pools, thriving with local wildlife. The trail follows the coastline closely, always remaining just above the beach, meandering through the grass-covered dunes. The ocean to my right, fields and pastures to my left. In between, a narrow footpath framed by flower meadows, patches of ragwort, marguerite and scabious, yarrow, sorrel, fireweed and geranium, an orderly chaos of flowers growing where it is exactly right for them, but never mixing too much. Bumblebees and butterflies fly from petal to petal, slurping their favourite nectar and distributing pollen along the way. At times, there are wooden boardwalks and steps leading down to the narrow band of sand. People are walking their dogs. Couples enjoy long walks on the beach. Adventurous souls explore the exposed rocks covered in seaweed. Soon, the ruins of Newark Castle come into view, and beyond it, the rooftops of St Monan's. The castle was built in the 1400s and through marriage and inheritance changed hands many times over the centuries. Despite its dramatic location, it eventually fell into ruins. Although there was an attempt to restore it in the 19th century, this would have been in vain. Approaching it today, it is clear that the cliffs below are crumbling, giving way to the force of the tides. I continue past the ruins and make my way to St Monan's, a village named after a legendary saint from the 6th and 7th century. 
According to legend, Monan was first on the Isle of May and then continued to Fife, where he built a chapel. This chapel was later rebuilt on the site of today's village by a Scottish king, who claimed that praying to Monan had helped him recover from battle wounds. That church is still here today and marks the entrance to the village. St Monan's looks like many other coastal villages here on the east nook of Fife. Whitewashed houses with red pantile roofs stretched along the coastline. Narrow streets dotted with colourful flower pots. Every now and then, gaps between the houses reveal the views of the sea. The central harbour is the linchpin of the village. Boats are bobbing in the water, tied to stout piers with long ropes. Seawalls protect the harbour like long arms sheltering a precious possession. Colourful bunting is flying above my head, stretching along the facades and from the houses to the lampposts across the road. On the slipway at the entrance of the harbour, there is a welly boot garden. Countless pairs of colourful rubber boots arranged in an artistic pattern and filled with flowers. Beyond the village, there is a tidal pool where you can safely swim in the sea during low tide. You just may want to bring a wetsuit. And as if those features weren't quirky enough, there is a windmill a bit further. The first windmill I had ever seen in Scotland. About 250 years ago, the windmill was built to pump salt water from the sea into a series of salt pans. The goal was to produce industrial salt, not extracted from rocks through mining or produced by allowing the sun to evaporate shallow pools of seawater. Oh no, once those pans were full, vast amounts of coal were burnt to heat up the water until it evaporated, leaving only the precious salt crystals behind. An unimaginable eight tonnes of coal were burnt to produce one tonne of salt. Salt was so valuable that it justified the expense. And the coal came from a mine just north of the windmill. What's even harder to imagine is what this landscape would have looked like back then. So idyllic today, veiled in a haze of fumes and smoke back then, scarring the coastline and suffocating the local population. Today, the windmill has been restored and towers peacefully above the pans, vaguely visible in the grass. From here, the path continues, one and a half miles to the village of Pittenween, a name that is part Gaelic, part Pictish, and means the place of the caves. Here, the coast is littered with indentments that could be seen as caves, but the one that gave the village its name was St. Philan's Cave. The Irish missionary Philan is said to have lived here sometime in the 7th century. This was long before there was a harbour in the village which means he would have had to reach the cave directly by boat. According to legend, Philan's arm was luminous, allowing him to write his sermons in the dark sandstone cave. But that isn't even the weirdest thing about him. Apparently, he was also the patron saint of the mentally ill, and to cure them, people brought them down to the cave overnight, bound with ropes. And if the ropes were loosened in the morning, that is, by the spirit of St. Philan, they were considered cured. Not exactly a reassuring story. 
What's much more joyful is the rest of Pittenween. I enter the village from the south, following at first a narrow promenade between a seawall and a row of houses. Not wide enough for cars, but perfect to sit on the wall and watch the sea while eating my lunch. Where the promenade is a little wider, locals have set up seats to lounge in the sun, past a particularly picturesque group of bright blue tables and benches. The road widens and the small harbour comes into view. I follow my notes, past sweet shops and signs for ice cream, a pub here and a gallery there. Lovingly restored houses with crow-step gables and colourful window frames. During the Pitt and Wee Marts Festival, the town comes alive. But today, it's serenely quiet and calm. I continue my hike, one final stretch along the coast. For the majority of the way, I skirt the outer edge of a golf course to my left. The tide is starting to roll back in, and so I watch the beach to my right grow narrower and narrower. Eventually Anstruther comes into view, the largest village on the East Nuka 5. The atmosphere on the path changes very suddenly as I reach the main road through the village. For hours on end, I saw barely a soul, and now, within seconds, there are buses and cars moving right past me. Near where the drill burn splits the village in east and west, I spot a house, covered in seashells. The lower half of the facade is decorated with shells, which are assembled in patterns according to size and shape. Rows of scallop shells the size of my hand, thousands of white winkle shells all pointing in the same direction. Large whelk shells forming arches and lines. The facade was created by a plasterer named Alex Batchelor during the 19th century. He also covered an entire room with shells, walls and ceiling, and he decorated a coffin with shells. But I doubt if either still exist. As I reach the harbour of Anstruther, my head is bursting, with impressions and stories, weird facts and tiny observations. I buy some chips from the Anstruther fish bar and sit by the pier, guarding my food from the lurking seagulls. There is a lot more to see, here in the village and further up the East Nook of Fife. But for today, I have taken plenty of steps. I jump on a bus to get back to Ely, where I left my car. I spent hours walking along the coast, but on the bus, it takes only a few minutes to travel back. Step by step, I had explored the East Nuka 5. Step by step, I had gone on an adventure. enjoyed this story from the five coastal path. Like I said in the story, you could easily explore this coastline by car, stopping in Ely, St Monans, Pittenweem and Anstruther, and exploring further to Crail, Kingsbarns Beach and even St Andrews. But I like slowing it down, 
and observing the details of the coast along the trail. If you're reasonably fit, the hike from Ely to Anstruther should take you two to three hours. I'll put a link to the trail description in the show notes. Which brings me almost to my travel tips for the East Nook of Five. But before that, let's hear a story about our sponsors. Now it's time for the practical part of the show. Here are my top five travel tips to make the most of your trip to the East Nook of Five. Tip number one, leave your car behind. You can explore the East Nook of Five pretty easily by bus. There is a direct bus from Edinburgh to St Andrews that stops in all the pretty coastal villages I mentioned in the story. From Glasgow, you have to change once to get to Ely or go to St Andrews first before exploring the coast. That way, you can not only do this linear walk, but explore the entire region by public transport. Tip number two, hike the entire five coastal path. Most people take around nine days to hike the entire five coastal path. You can do it in one go or in sections, like above using public transport to get to and from the endpoints of sections. It's very straightforward. Apart from the walk from Ely to Anstruther, Highlights on the Five Coastal Path include the market town of Kouros, that's one for the Outlander fans, hiking underneath the Fourth Railway Bridge, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and of course St Andrews, the home of golf. Tip number three, visit for the Pittenweem Arts Festival. The Pittenweem Arts Festival is almost 40 years old and takes place every August. For a week, local artists open their studios, display their work, host workshops and organise events to draw attention to the sheer creativity of this region. It's a great time to visit and turns the tiny village into a bustling art hub. Tip number four, eat at the Anstruther Fish Bar. Now, this is a recommendation from before my vegan times. If you eat fish, treat yourself to a meal from the award-winning Anstruther Fish Bar. On a sunny day, you most definitely have to queue for a while, for a table or a takeaway, but it will be worth it. If you eat outside, just make sure you keep an eye on the seagulls. Tip number five, visit the Isle of May. Last but not least, if you have a bit of extra time, do a day trip to the Isle of May. It's a small island in the Firth of Forth, about five miles off the coast of Anstruther. From there, boats leave for day trips to the island all summer long, bringing avid bird watchers to see vast colonies of nesting seabirds. Puffins, guillemots, razorbills, shags, cormorants and terns. Apart from them, the island is uninhabited, although researchers come here every year to count the numbers of seabirds and study their behaviour. The boat trips for day visitors last around five hours and includes time to explore the island on land. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own trip to the East Nook of Five. The Scottish West Coast often steals the show, but I love exploring the East Coast too. It's a little quieter than some of the beauty spots out West, but the scenery is in no way inferior, just different. I love the coastal villages, the beaches and the castle ruins, and everything feels a bit more accessible, especially on public transport. But of course, Fife is also a great road trip destination and will be part of my ready-made East Scotland itinerary that will launch soon. Next week, I have a story about Scotland's natural world for you as we explore one of its national parks together. 
Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. If you are intrigued by today's story, head to wildforscotland.com for some impressions from the road. And if you liked it, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Wild for Scotland is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Fran Jarowskis is the producer and editor of the show. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner. And all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel down a different road in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.